delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV, taking a bite out of technology. Hello and welcome to episode 492 of the Judy Techies for Saturday, January 4th, 2020. This is the week's most notable tech stories in round an hour or less in podcast form and has been for just under 10 years with myself, Jimmy Bunting and Aaron Fisher. Come together once a week to talk about the week's latest technology news, developments, releases, discuss, analyse, debate, all of that. On this week's episode, CES 2020, it's just around the corner, Sonos's flawed product recycling program, and health technology is facing the wrath of product patents. You are very welcome to episode 492 and thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of 2020, the first episode of the new decade, episode 492. Welcome as always, whether this is the first episode you've listened to or it is the 492nd that you're joining us on. Thank you so much either way for doing so. We're, we're humbled as always. It also humbled that we are starting 2020 with some fantastic figures from last year. We always say it's not about the fact that, that this show goes all around the world. It does. And you take the time to join us from around the world, which is really cool, really humbling and, and actually quite surprising sometimes. But 2019 for the show was amazing. As simple as the figures which um, come behind the scenes are mind-blowing and that's that's because you choose to join us and we are so thankful that you do. We released 41 episodes in the year, 36 hours-ish of content. That's one and a half days non-stop. Yes, if you listened to every episode last year, you had us for one and a half days in your life. I am sorry. And uh, we were listened to in more than 80 countries or just under 80 countries um, last year alone. So thank Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. 2019, the best year to date. 2020, let's, let's smash it out of the park. As they say, we will hit 10 years at the end of January. Now that was, that's also just mind-blowing as well. So we have a lot planned for that. That will be, as I say, at the end of the month. Aaron, hello. Hello. Why are we? Pretty good. Yourself? I am fantastic. I'm fantastic. We have a good show lined up. CES, just around the corner, 2020. Another year of it. And I actually feel this year there may be something a bit more fresh to do with CES. The last years have sort of stagnated and I don't know, they feel a bit meh. But hopefully there's something new to see. It's funny how CES is the same time every year. Literally shouldn't be a surprise to us anymore. But yet every year. Yeah, we're surprised by the yeah. fact that uh, New Year rolls around. It's like, oh crap, CES this week. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny when we when we started the show. I think there was still I don't want to say a slight excitement. There was still like a almost like an air of mystery around uh, what was going to be announced at CES. And over the next few years, that pretty much um, died down, didn't it? It became so predictable. It became so kind of like cliche. You know, it, there was that period where it was like you couldn't turn a corner without seeing a. a, a 3D TV um, or something to do with, you know, pretty like basic stuff like fridges with screens in, TVs like it all yeah. felt a bit bit bland and there was a big period of time where I think we just chose kind of not to cover CES because it became so so uninteresting but over the past probably year two years and I think 
especially as you say, uh, this coming week. Um, there's a lot to be excited about. I know we're going to cover it, but obviously with the advancement of things like uh, electric vehicles and whatnot, obviously a big part of CES will, will become uh, EVs and whatnot and the technology around that. So I think it's it's finally starting to pick up in, in excitement again. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's taken a, a turn with this direction to some extent. It's still the Consumer Electronics Show, and that's what it is. It's based around all consumer electronics even though it is typically a trade show for industries and so on, but it, it's it's open to the public. Um, I think this is what, the 60... No, not 60, it's 52 years running. It start, started in 67. It was the, the first inaugural show. It's now grown to about 180,000 attendees and has been held in um, the, Las Vegas for those uh, six, sorry, 52 years, I'm going to keep saying 62, 52 years, some amazing technologies come out of it, uh, and some flops as well. And as you say, we've kind of picked and chosen the years to to follow it or to, to focus on it, but it's always nice to think about what we might see at it, and then the week after walking away and saying what we did see, was it what we thought? Did it meet expectations, or did it did it flunder? Quick question, Aaron, how's Ruth? Who's Ruth? Well, will you tell me? Uh, I don't know. No, you probably wouldn't. I was doing some research prior to the show. Uh-oh. As I, I would always do. Um, and trying to see, you know, I always, at the start, is there a significance to the episode number? It's a bit corny, I know, but some weeks we have a really interesting fact about the episode number into technology. This week... It's not really interesting to technology, but it is a significant fact with the number 492 that a Ruth Aaron pair consists of two consecutive integers for which the sums of the prime factors of each integer are equal. So Aaron, how's Ruth? Great, doing well. Yeah, it's a Ruth Aaron pair. Even spelt the same way you spell your name. Yes. Double A-R-O-N. Yeah, surprised you didn't know that. You do now. You, you don't seem too excited about it. Oh, you know, just the knowledge we gain every week. Is, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Before we bore anyone else with any more facts, we're going to go to the quick news. Software company Myriad has developed a way for adverts to be inserted into films and television shows streamed online. It uses artificial intelligence techniques to recognize objects in a scene and spot slots where branded goods and posters can be added without looking out of place. It aims to ultimately tailor the product placements to individual viewers' interest. The London-based ad tech firm will show off its software at the CES Tech Show in Las Vegas this week. The iPhone XR was the best-selling smartphone in the third quarter of 2019, meaning it has been the best-selling model every quarter so far this year, according to CounterPoint Research. Its launch midway through the fourth quarter of 2018 meant it didn't top the list that quarter, but it's done so ever since, comfortably beating out the base model iPhone 11. The company said that the iPhone 11 managed fifth place in its own launch quarter. Spotify said last week that it will pause political advertising early in 2020 on its ad-supported tier and its original and exclusive podcast, saying it doesn't have the resources to properly vet such ads. At this point in time, we do not yet have the necessarily necessary level of robustness in our processes, systems and tools to responsibly validate and review this content, the company said in its statement to The Verge. We will reassess this decision as we continue to evolve our capabilities. Spotify joins other tech companies grappling with how to handle political advertising in the run-up to the 2020 election. Back in November, Twitter put into effect its political advertising ban, which forbids paid content referring to candidates, political parties, legislation, regulation, or ballot measures. And finally, Uber founder and former CEO Travis Kalanick is leaving the company's board of directors. The ride-hailing company announced this week Kalanick will officially resign from the board as of December 31st to, quote, focus on his new business 
and philanthropic endeavours, according to a press release issued by Uber. Kalanick, who was forced out as CEO of Uber and eventually replaced through shareholder action with the support of the board in 2017, has been in the process of selling off his considerable ownership stake in the company through successive sales of his shares. Just last week, he sold around $383 million worth in shares and reduced his overall stake to less than 10% per an SEC filing. AI. That is the next realm of advertising, like it or not. I uh, just, uh, while we were talking there, I, I find it interesting that uh, we're looking at CES and we're, we're excited about all this interesting technology and no, no, it's going to be adverts. Yep, it's going to be new ad technology. How can they shove adverts in our face in a slightly different way? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not, yeah, fair enough. Well, it's for the last 10, 15, nearly 20 years, cash and cookies have been adverts and they, they still will be to some extent, but this new technology has to play a part in some way. It's just, I mean, I appreciate the fact that so much of the content we view online uh, or read online or whatever it is, is provided for free essentially to us. You know, we're, we're basically not paying any access to it. And in fairness to the creator, they should be or can be. Be, I guess, should be uh, monetized um, in return for that. I think much of the problem when it comes to online advertising, and we've spoken about this time and time again over the years, is the way it is done, the way it is conducted online. Online advertising has got so incredibly invasive, especially when it comes to privacy, um, that you know the rise of ad blockers, the rise of these you know browsers that silo websites and 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 try and stop them tracking you around the web, has massively grown over the past decade um, that I think obviously it's like playing whack-a-mole isn't it as a consumer we're, we're skirting around it and we're trying to find different ways um, around these adverts and obviously the advert advertising industry sorry is having to get more and more creative in how to get, uh, get adverts in front of us I think a lot of people's problems with this type of stuff is I think people are more than happy for some kind of advert or some to read a sponsor thing or whatever it is for something that is is free I think there's a huge problem and I'm not saying this is in, in any way related to this story, but a lot of people's problems come from when you pay for a service and we're starting to see it happen more and more. You know, weird little things like on, I know Apple TV Plus has done it a few times. Uh, we've seen Amazon Prime do it a few times. These are services that you pay for. Mm. And sometimes when you launch a TV show to watch, there will be some kind of advert for, for their content, you know, in their defense. It's not like it, it, it's a completely unrelated product. It is a trailer or something for other content but it's like we're paying for I don't want to watch adverts if I want to watch adverts before a movie I will go to the cinema because they've perfected the art of, of getting people to watch half hour worth of adverts <laughs> and half hour is obviously not <laughs> not, an it's not an exaggeration it's scary no, no. But the interesting thing is adverts, you're right, people don't want them shoved in their face. I very seldomly sit through an advert. I will very seldomly want to see an advert. However, and, and maybe you haven't been in that position before, Aaron, but have you ever looked at an advert that, that has actually caught your attention and you've watched it the whole way through or you've looked at it or you haven't skipped or um, you've actually clicked on? There has been one or two in my recently with me. I thought, oh, that's actually quite interesting. And I know it's an advert and I know that I'm going through it and probably tr they're trying to sell me something, but you click it because it captures your attention. But that's the whole point of an advert. 
advert. That's what an advert is meant to do. I think probably the biggest, I don't think I've actually actively really clicked on anything or, or that I can remember, probably just because I've been running ad blockers for so long. Um, mm. I'm a huge fan you're, of you're service. You're killing the internet, aren't well, you? Well, I was just about to say, I'm a huge fan of services like Patreon and whatnot, where I, if I, you know, watch a lot of a creator's content, then I am quite happy to support them um, with my money. I do not mind doing that. I just don't want to sit through adverts. And increasingly on YouTube, when you have, when you turn your ad blocker off or when you view it on your phone or your iPad or whatever, you see these adverts are like three minutes long that are like a whole music video that's unskippable. And it's just, it's just <laughs> mental. I think one of the biggest conversions for me has probably been on YouTube, uh, watching, you know, when people do their little sponsor pitch, um, you know, this video is brought to you by whomever. Um, I think I, I recently signed up to uh, Skillshare, which has been on like every YouTube video for the past six months ever. It's been impossible to avoid, but had it not been, I would never have heard of them and, and probably would never have signed up. So I think those specific adverts, which is probably more related to what Myriad are trying to do here. They're trying to place the adverts in the background of content that are related, I guess, to the content and in turn to to, to you. Um, it, it'd be super interesting to see how that turns out. I bet, I bet it's it's going to be one of those things that obviously it's AI and AI is at a, an interesting stage at the moment. Um, some things are going to be slightly meme worthy, I imagine, about how uh, how it's going to get some things wrong. So it'll be a, it'd be interesting to see. It's super cool technology. I think the idea of being able to to blend adverts in um, to moving picture, I think is, or just blend content into moving picture is, is, is such a cool concept. Not too stoked about the fact it's for advertising, but uh, yeah, it's funny how the ad industry does push quite a lot of technology forward just because they really do want to get every inch of space available. Get their message out to the, the, the most significant masses of cry, or, you know, masses of people. Interestingly enough, Apple's not low end, but, but not the highest end either. iPhone has been the best selling every quarter for 2019, which is crazy. But I think it reiterates the fact which we talked about quite some time ago in that Google with the Pixel 3, 4, 3, 4? They're on the 4 now, I think. 4. Um, and the price point, was it the 4A? Or am I completely off here? I do know what you're talking about. There, there was, I don't know if they did it with the 4. They definitely did it with the 3. They had that 3. You've got the word A in my head now, and I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. But yeah, they did do that cheaper one and that more expensive one. And then it turned out everyone bought the cheaper one. And it's like, oh, shock Pikachu face. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the point being, people do not want to pay four figures for a phone, which they're changing every year, if not two years. And that is confirmed by the fact that the iPhone XR has been the best-selling smartphone. I'm going to eat my words in a second by reminding myself of the price of the iPhone XR. However, I am nearly sure it is not as expensive as their, obviously, their flagship one at the minute. I mean, uh, it, it's also, this claim is whole, you know, backed up the whole people buy the cheaper phone thing by the fact that I've just bought an iPhone 11 as well instead of going for the iPhone 11 Pro Max Plus thing, whatever it's called this week. Yeah. Which is like, just the idea of spending over a thousand pounds for a phone or even close to a thousand pounds is 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 eye-watering um one of my justifications for the 11 is the fact that the same spec 11 is cheaper than the what we paid for the seven pluses which felt like still too much money and 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 still very expensive but it didn't feel like i was getting ripped off so much that i could actually technically save some money yeah just looking 629 pounds for the 10r which is not it's great i don't think because i'm pretty sure it's not terrible either well i'm pretty sure the iphone 11 starts at 729 I want to say which mm. is not that much more for a much better or for a better phone I would say a much better 
phone, but um, if you do no trading, yeah, 729 for the 11. So Apple's weird pricing structure where you buy an older phone, but it doesn't actually save you a whole bunch of money. Classic. Which <laughs> is working perfectly for them because yeah. older phone, chance to, that you're, the likelihood that you're going to upgrade it sooner is higher, which means you buy two phones in a shorter space of time. Apple, you've you've done brilliantly. Pat yourselves in the back. But it's this is something we've, we've every phone release, whether it be Apple, whether it be Samsung, Google, whomever, we've had the same conversation. Everyone has had the same conversation. The consumer, you know, is, is literally putting their money where their mouth is, I think, and buying the cheaper phone. It turns out that the general kind of average uh, average punter on the street doesn't actually want to pay, you know, four figures for a, for a phone. Um, I think people are, you know, companies are stretching it when they're pricing their, I use heavy air quotes, their, their budget or cheaper phones, mm. um, which is kind of how we're talking about the 10R and the 11 here, uh, because that's kind of how they're pitched from the company. I fully appreciate that, you know, anything over like two or 300 pounds is not a budget phone. So for something that's coming in at six, seven, 800 pounds, you know, that was top end, super premium just a few years ago. And now for us to be talking about that, like it's the, it's the cheaper alternative, it's the budget, you know, corners cut kind of version is still massively disappointing. And I know we've, like I say, we've talked about this so much and I really hope it changes. I, I really hope that the fact that the 10R was the best selling phone for, for three, four quarters in a row, Apple can see those numbers. Um, I really hope that a bigger emphasis gets put on cheaper device. And I think we kind of saw that with the 11. Um, basically, the difference between the 11 and 11 Pro is the fact that one has an LED, an OLED screen and a telephoto lens and the other doesn't. Like they, they did make that gap so small. So the, the reason to spend three or four hundred pounds extra was was greatly diluted. Um, it's not like it was last year's processor or last year's you know camera hardware or whatever. It was current. Um, but yeah, I, I'm super interested to see what Google do next because basically the last year in 2019 we saw all three manufacturers. I'm pretty sure Google continued it, but we saw all three manufacturers do the here's our high end phone and here's our phone for the masses type thing. Um, and Apple slapping the word Pro on it, I think very much kind of differentiated the two, didn't it? Said so this is for the people who take photography seriously or you know want a bigger phone or whatever. You buy the Pro version, and for everyone else, you buy the you know the normal number. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it as well that the the price point is almost warranted by the spec of the product, but I I still feel there is that Apple tax on top of it, oh, which is where they need to improve. Spotify will pause political ads in early 2020, similar to Twitter. Seems to be a common trend now. <clears throat> Facebook. I think it's it's a good thing. Um, you know, you 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 make the point that that, that Facebook were 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 against doing this, and I think that's still probably one of the biggest disappointments. Um, I think when Twitter did it, we did speak about how they're probably a little more, they have a little more wiggle room to do that. Um, I think when it comes to the monetary side, Twitter probably rely on that less than than Facebook do. I think Facebook is so much more beholden to being the money making machine that they are um, that I I just don't think they're at liberty to make decisions like that i think as consumers we should hold them to be at liberty to make decisions like that i think we we praise twitter you know we're praising spotify here that this is a good decision you can't be accused of anything negative if you just ban everything you know it's not like they're banning one specific party or it's not if they're getting picky and choosy it's just there are no political ads but i think both platforms fully appreciate the fact that they will lose lots of money out of 
doing this, but I think in the long run, it is the smarter move to do. Like I say, you can't be accused of anything if you're not in the running at all. The money they lose will potentially be offset by the money they make by the confidence from the user. Tricky. I I, I think unless you're reading the tech press or listening to the news shows, I don't think you'll even notice the fact that there's no political ads. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I bet, I bet most people, I should say, won't notice. So I, I don't know if it's if it's going to change anything um, consumer trust-wise. I, I guess on that note, bad press coming from any other kind of result probably would make it mm. into the mass media news. Um, I think Twitter's kind of did because it was kind of the first, um, almost first of its kind, wasn't it? Twitter were the first big company to come out and say, no, we're not getting involved. Um, I think as other companies do it, it, w- it will still make the news and it'll be interesting to put a list together. Um, but I don't see people being generally aware of it. And then finally, Uber, uh, co- find, not, not, not co-founder, founder Travis Kalanick essentially leaving the company altogether, really. Less than 10% in his overall stake of shares. Which Uber has not had an easy time in the last few years. I feel that the leadership of the company is partially to blame. Kalanick was part of that leadership, so it, that's the solution, I think. And, and the board really felt that as well from, from reading between the lines. I mean, Uber went through. Do you, do you remember when there was that period? I think it was, you know, 2017, 2016, uh, right around the time he was he was kicked out there was that time where there was a guarantee every week we were going to have either a story about facebook mm. or a story about uber um and they had a lot of negative press during that time they've had negative press since it's been yeah. a lot more controlled i think and they have popped up for some very bad things over the past 12 months um i think weirdly i think uh expanding to things like uber eats and whatnot has actually done great things for them the amount of you know whenever i go to any of our local bearing in mind live in a fairly kind of rural town you know n- no big city or, or close to anything major um whenever i go to any of the, the kind of quiet local fast food chains there's always a guy waiting there the same guy waiting there with his with his uber eats bag waiting to collect people's orders so i think things like that have have done really well and allowed them to compete in that compete in that space and compete in different spaces we see all around the world that uber are entering different kinds of markets obviously there's the famed uh, uh self-driving car debacle which uh didn't go well for them um, and then after it didn't go well they didn't exactly handle the fact that it didn't go well very well either um, which was kind of is was classic Uber yeah they they're an issue and then they never made it better for themselves that's that's true on to more positive things CES 2020 potentially tomorrow's freshest deck uh, this is probably one of the bigger years for CES given that we're not in a lull of a trend at the minute 3D TVs aren't really well they, they aren't a thing at all anymore so nothing can really steal the spotlight at the minute so it's going to be fresh going to be new it's going to be innovative i hope what what for you points to uh, will stick out the most this is uh, i will get to your question but again we're we're bigging up going yeah cs 2020 is gonna be great reading this article on bbc fantastic uh, put together thing and the first thing is the moxie showerhead which is a detachable alexa based speaker and microphone for your showerhead yay innovation <laughs> right yeah I, I mean to be fair and that actually goes on to something i was thinking about so for me the biggest part of ces 2020 that i can visibly predict in my head will be smart technology smart homes oh, smart 100%. devices and products and the difference between years gone by with smart products and smart home and smart etc is that they are going to be more unified this year they're going to be more built in built around already existing infrastructures and systems 
before they didn't talk to each other they didn't do what they were meant to do properly or very well they were clunky didn't have correct interfaces incompatible with certain products so on so forth this year that that changes and not just this year it has been changing and will continue to change until the systems are 100% unified now we're nowhere near that point at the minute and we will not be for a number of years but the last few years has seen an increase on these smart products becoming well more smart uh, more unified more interconnected and more compatible with other technology which is great because that's the only way this technology will ever work having a google home in one room an amazon echo in another a home uh, pod in somewhere else in the house or having those three devices okay they may not may not talk to each other the best but they talk to the other devices just fine and that's what you need if you have a ring doorbell or a nest thermostat a nest smoke alarm or philips hue bulbs or a nest ring camera outside or any smart device whatsoever smart lock smart fridge smart tumble dryer smart toaster smart pan i don't know smart tv whatever it is they all should be talking to the same bridge which then talks to the interconnected smart home assistant and that is where these devices will start to see that unification process begin and yes still in a raw and very infantile form in 2020 but so much better than what they were when they first came out in ces i mean just actually really quickly on that note you hit the nail on the head with the the interconnection thing and this is the first time in 25 years or something like that it's some long period of time um, that apple will actually be making an official appearance it's not they're not going to have a booth or a stand and show off their products but they're going to be making uh, a public appearance there um and i believe it's with their privacy chief and i believe it's i don't think we talked about it a few weeks ago um apple amazon google zigbee and a couple of others all have all kind of rallied together and got together on this whole creating an open standard for smart home tech which goes yep. exactly with what you were just saying um, and I believe that they're going to be part of a roundtable discussion uh, to talk about that so it's actually quite interesting to you that Apple are getting serious about it um, Apple obviously are the ones that we all say have a lot of catching up to do um, which is still very true I think HomeKit is the most complete but it's also the most well maybe not complete is the wrong word I think HomeKit is the most feature rich or does what you want kind of thing but it's definitely got the least amount of support uh, compare that with amazon and google who setups all feel massively clunky even with third-party devices feels clunky um difficult to integrate especially between the two um automation doesn't really exist um which is something that apple's home kit has really i think pushed forward um i've had quite a lot of fun setting up home kit automation recently um less fun when it was uh, based on a google but you know a lot of our houses google amazon home home kit the lot i think a better more things talking together is a great thing i'm actually just scrolling through this list of some of the kind of smart home specifics some of them seem i think like super interesting concepts probably less practical in reality and one of the kind of trends i'm noticing is in years gone by you know even just a year a couple years ago with, with smart home tech the whole thing often revolved around you having to rip out whatever you had now you know take it a lock and it'll be a you know having to, to start again um you know take everything out that you've got and yep. put this smart home tech in whereas what i'm looking at now is some of this stuff is very much designed to retrofit let's call it analog world 
technology. Um, <laughs> there's an interesting one here that someone's created some smart cooker dials. <laughs> yeah, um, yep. And instead of it having to be a whole new cooker, which we've talked about before, of how that can yep. go interestingly wrong, um, i.e. it heats up at 4am in the morning randomly. But this is like a thing that will retrofit on top of your existing cooker dials. I bet there's like three cookers it will fit, but you know, besides... <laughs> Yeah. But it's quite cool to see, I think, people thinking that actually people don't want to rip out entire appliances and start again. People are generally happy with what they've got. So coming up with something that you can add a little bit of smartness into your world, whether it be on your oven or, or you know in your pantry here or a lock or whatever it is, um, without having to replace the whole thing, spend a lot of money. Um, you can carry it across different devices. Obviously, as soon as it becomes like, as soon as you have a technology company developing an oven, things probably don't go so well whereas if you have the technology company doing the smart bit and the oven company doing the oven bit marrying those two together can, can go really well and you get a wide selection for, for consumers still which is what people want um scrolling in further down it gets weirder and weirder i don't know if you've gone through this list at all have you seen the dishwasher i was just looking at the dishwasher it <laughs> might be brilliant. the world's small it's like a mini fridge but a dishwasher yeah. mm. designed for but studio th- as you say th- this is actually really cool because what this is other companies coming in and and actually innovating in markets which were pretty stagnant there are some really pointless and silly ideas as well but there's some really useful as you say so there's smart dials there's a smarty pan has a frying pan that checks the weight and temperature of ingredients before guiding you through the process of cooking in an app well that's good um bright lock unlocks front doors by detecting a pattern of light pulses fired from a smartphone's flash that seems that that seems very feasible Toynu promises to liberate you from the toil of having to tie up rubbish bags. Okay, maybe that's just a, a novelty and a non-necessary product. <laughs> this seems quite cool. Lua wants to turn your plant into a pet with a sensor-packed pot that shows animated faces to let you know when your foliage is thirsty or in need of sunlight. Like a slightly so more real pointless things, but but nonetheless, some really innovative and cool ideas too. A plant pot is like a slightly more advanced Tamagotchi. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Amarillo will promote Athena, a security camera that recognizes people's voices and faces to distinguish friends and family from strangers. Furthermore, it can recognize a fire from afar and raise the alarm also. That's really cool. Smart home is definitely, I think, the most interesting. Well, pretty one of I'm pretty interested to see kind of the EV stuff as well. And um, But just specifically on smart home, it, it does, it kind of feels like that classic CES, doesn't it? It's like it's a lot of companies yeah. throwing spaghetti at the wall and we'll yeah, see yeah, which three things course. actually come out. And I love that. That is what CES should be. You know, these crazy ideas, very much the prototype stage still or you know a little bit further on maybe but very much the early stage you know people just coming up with ideas i love that smart home is one of the most interesting spaces for that to be happening like we said at the beginning we got to the point with a lot of other uh, spaces such as uh, tv and you know smartphones and and like audio tech and that kind of like it is what it is at this point isn't it like it's not going to change that much or or there isn't much that could change i think kind of pre-smart the smart home revolution but CES got very it's just people trying the same thing over and over again once in a while a, a technology like like 3D would come along or something um, and you'd have a few years of kind of oh it's a little bit interesting um, but smart home EVs it really does feel like this kind of next few years is going to be super super interesting at CES because it's going to be lots of different ideas um, which I think is great yeah yeah I, I know what you mean it's it's nice to see that renaissance with CES as well that these products are are 
almost a category of their their own. Yes, they're smart home products, but they're almost sub smart home. You know, an addition to your products to make it smart rather than replacing the entire product itself. And that is fantastic. It's no longer an early adoption market. It is a mass market to some extent, making it more accessible and also cheaper and more interchangeable as well. TVs, uh, which have been at the heart of CES since its inauguration, its inception back in 1967, uh, have seen significant changes in past years. There have been multiple fads, multiple success stories with TVs, some of which being 3D sets, which just never took off, to smart TVs, to 4K, and now what we're going to probably see is 8K. So those uh, features themselves push four times as many pixels as 4K sets and 16 times as many as 1080p screens. Looks like there will be a no-bezel edge-to-edge screen from Samsung and a flexible OLED model from LG that rolls down from the ceiling. And the question for both is whether the impressive engineering involved comes at the cost of fragility or not. But there are some amazing inceptions. I mean, did you see the LG video wall? The OLED video wall? Just looking at a picture of that now. Again, all this stuff seems moderately interesting, but it's like it's not stuff we haven't seen before. It isn't, but yeah, I mean, curved TVs... I. I never looked at a curved TV and, and thought, oh, that's really cool. I'm looking at the video wall and thinking, actually, I can see a practical use case for that. Yeah, I mean, I quite like the idea of the bezel-less stuff and the, the flexible stuff we've been seeing for, for a good few years now. Um, based on Samsung's ability, I know this is from LG, but based on Samsung's ability for with their foldable phones, not going to hold out much hope this year for foldable OLED screens. It's interesting stuff. <laughs> Just on that note, actually, saying it's not interesting, we've got to the point where, like it's weird foldable phones or foldable oled screens or foldable screens in general i guess it's like we've become kind of accustomed to it over the past 12 to 18 months that we're like yeah yeah but you go back at the beginning of last decade i think when we started the show and if you said that cs was going to have foldable screens we would have laughed at you because that was you know even just a few years ago was such an outlandish concept and was never going to happen and especially didn't feel like it was going to be something so close to being at consumer level so much of this stuff is is technology that okay it's been kicking around at that you know really high-end specialist level for a little while but to see it come down to something you can not just have in your your living room but with the phones it's something you can have in your pocket is, is just nuts um and i think it's a real big testament to, to how quickly technology moves and how quickly it trickles down to, to us the the general consumer which is obviously what this show is about Aaron, just um would you, would you bring the 49 tv out of your pocket for us please well i can i can unroll it (laughs) you know potentially going to be something in the future and that that technology right now in our head is mind-blowing and it's of course it's not accessible but it could be a thing and 8k being realistic here 8k is probably going to be the most prevalent of tv technology at ces tokyo's summer olympics are being filmed in a super high vision format still unclear whether broadcasters will support it beyond japan's nhk and italy's rai uh, with little other 8k content tv makers are of course under pressure to prove that their upscaling technologies noticeably enhance lower resolution blu-ray discs and video streams obviously it can take considerable computing smarts to do this as well several companies say they have trained deep learning systems that are capable of the task so behind it's not just the actual technology to produce 8k content on a screen which in itself is difficult enough you then have the extra level of technology behind that which consumers won't appreciate because it's either there it's not if it's there they'll not think oh that's great they'll just they'll appreciate it being there they don't appreciate the technology behind it but if it's not they'll say oh that, that's a terrible picture and that technology is very hard to crack actually because what you're using is ai essentially or deep learning systems as they said that which 
take pixels and sample pixels and say, if this, then that, and so on and so forth. It's complex technology. And it's crazy that we're sticking it in a thing as thin nearly as, as our mobile phones in 2020. Have you seen, I mean, you've seen some of the TVs in John Lewis when we were over, haven't you, Aaron? Oh, it's nuts. I mean, apart crazy. from the giant box they have in the middle. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> the actual depth. Of, I mean, to be fair, you take an LCD panel, as soon as you remove the need for a backlight, the thickness didn't really become um, as much less of an issue. Um, obviously, OLED being self-lit, I guess there's a better word for it. But um, yeah, it, it's one of those things, like I say, it, it's it's that trickle down. It's that, that how we, we kind of get so used to it all of a sudden, take it for granted about how, you know, how crazy technology is that we can go to, as you say, John Lewis and, 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 and buy it. it. It truly is nuts. The one thing I will say about 8K is obviously... I think most people will sit here and go, "Wow, well, you know, we haven't even got 4K yet in you know in most living rooms." And- yeah, but that that uh, of course I I agree completely. But it's the the technology takes the time or takes the time to implement that technology to upscale it. That it makes sense to the forward plan it's it's sort of like saying, well, well you know what we don't even have full fiber at home at the minute why are we why are we investing in this infrastructure it's hard even some areas don't even have full fiber in area even to the exchange why why but it's called forward planning well, exactly and that's why you even go back probably four or five years and, and i know netflix was shooting a lot of their stuff in 8k so not even just in 4k i think some stuff has been shot even higher maybe i could be wrong um but i believe house of cards maybe all of it i maybe the last couple seasons that I, I can't remember i believe that was shot in 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 8k and that was one of the early things i think um i imagine everything is shot in some super high resolution stuff i i assume things like animated movies and whatnot it'd be interesting to see those as they get remastered obviously slightly easier being being computer generated but um on that note completely unrelated slight tangent not ces related in a, at all i apologize um, but just on the note of animation improving over the years i watched Toy Story 4, which came out last year, 18, 19, somewhere around there. Um, Don't spoil it. I've, I've still to watch it. Uh, just honestly, the animation will blow you away. It is insane. Um, especially as I remember, don't of wasn't live for the first one coming out just, but um, the uh, you know Toy Story 2 when that came out was like, wow. Um, Monsters, Inc. when that came out was like, the hair and whatnot was just incredible. <laughs> you look back on those now and it's like, this it doesn't look dated but you know it's not that impressive but honestly yeah imagine if you had a 4k or an 8k tv or an oled tv toy story 4 is gonna look like stunning it is crazy how far computers you know to be able to render that yeah and obviously rendering engines talent yeah. as well but it is crazy how far it has come to be able to create something like that i appreciate there are probably better examples but it's just the most recent i've watched it is just nuts how quickly technology moves bearing in mind the original toy story is what 20 five years ago mm. it's not that long ago um but yeah it's just just crazy to see. just sorry just while we're on the topic of tv fair enough robots and ai is an area which we i mean we're talking about smart homes and on a scale of readiness for full deployment to, to mass market <laughs> smart homes are aren't quite there robots and AI are nowhere near there yet but yet we're doing amazing things with them. And you could go from, you know, robot vacuums to robot window cleaners and so on and so forth. There is a machine which will potentially be shown off at CES, which can prepare up to 300 pizzas an hour, each with a customized set of toppings controlled by an app. That's interesting. They, uh, the startup themselves have uh, an ambition to extend into sandwiches, salads and tortillas soon, pitching at the restaurant chain product, obviously, rather
rather than consumers. Peebo looked, uh, looks to be a bit of a trickier sell. The humanoid robot with a camera in it will be pitched at teenage girls, marketing videos showing uh, it taking photos of them and their food, recording their diary entries and telling them it loves them. That's a bit strange. Um, Yuka's Boko robot may have a better chance. It uh, will be a way for children to send and receive audio messages to their parents and babble back in their own language if addressed themselves. They can also be paired with an add-on sensor to disclose when a family member has arrived home, what the weather is doing, and whether or not the front door was closed properly. I, I feel as if the... I mean, that, that one about taking photos of food, it just seems pointless, right? And yeah. that's because a lot of this robotic technology is pointless in a home environment right now, and it just cannot have a use case. I mean, a robot vacuum cleaner, okay, that's great, until it gets blocked, or until it comes across an obstruction which isn't big, and, you know, it's just too big for it to, to actually clean, tidy, hoover. I, it's good to some extent, and, and it does work, but it's not it's not really there. It's not. It's in the early adoption market stages. But it's still, this is the time when the technology gets shown off and and um, I think improved with this, especially when it comes to robotics and AI as well. We probably have to, to see these products and look less at the product, if that makes sense. It's the way it pushes certain technologies forward. You know, robots have gone from being. Do you remember when like Honda were doing their their amazing things with uh, the robots 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. Those things were huge to walk around and whatnot. And now we're looking at that technology and we're seeing it in tiny little things um i think we have to we have to kind of look less at the physical thing as it is so like these these products may look or sound i don't want to use the word silly but you know let's go with it for now they, they may look or, or sound a bit silly for now but it's the, the the way they've been able to decrease the size of the stuff inside it the sensors they're able to cram in there the the ai they're able to put in this stuff i think is is what we have to look at and really appreciate 100 percent. yeah the technology behind the farce of technology essentially is that what you mean essentially yeah it's um i think maybe i'm trying to make up for a bad situation slightly here like i'm reading some of the descriptions of these and going this is nuts um i think if you go down towards the ai the ai section it's where it becomes slightly more interesting one of them is the uh the advertising story we talked about in in, in the quick news but ai has come on so far um or different versions of ai i should say have come on so far so many of so much of it is kind of scary like there's uses of it that um will be used in things like for facial recognition stuff which I think for, for people who are privacy conscious, I think these kind of advancements are a little worrying about what they can end up in. Mm. Um, again, the technology is amazing, um, but it's just like you just have to think about how it's going to end up being used, um, which can be the be the super scary thing. Yeah, worse, yes, may uh, find itself in a bit of a, a, a middle road situation. No pun intended. Transport. There'll be a lot of self driving cars, a lot of self drive technology. There'll be a lot of other transport solutions: electronic bikes or boards so on and so forth. Mantis 5 hydrofoil e-bike will be a new way to travel. It's ready to roll or at least glide. It's a water cycle which pedals uh, through a propeller and in place of the wheels are wing-like parts that create more lift the faster the user cycles. The rider's efforts are aided by an electronic motor helping the e-bike achieve speeds of up to 13 miles per hour. Not far from supersonic. <laughs> it's the first commercial product of its kind. It's a decade worth of research and development and as such doesn't come cheap each one will cost £5,800. Yes, maybe a self-driving car might be a better option at that price. I'm just scrolling down here. 
these various things. Some of them, like, some of them are great and interesting. Some of them feel so obvious. Um, like this Fisker one that says, uh, solar panel roof on a car um, will drip feed the battery. Um, it's, they still say the tech is decades away um, from, from being capable of being the main power source. Um, they do say the roof should provide a thousand miles worth of free motoring over the course of a year. It's that type of thing. Obviously, they say it'll power things like, uh, you know, in-car infotainment and things like that. But it's stuff like that. It's like, well, that just feels so obvious that it's actually crazy that, that we're only just seeing that now. You know, why wouldn't you have a solar panel up there? It's like free. The roof of a car is free real estate, um, especially <laughs> when it comes to electric cars. It's like, do you want to rent it out to, to, yeah. for, for home living space? But you know what I mean. It's like, yeah. apart from maybe having a sunroof, a roof doesn't really serve many of the obviously apart from being a structural thing. But you know what I mean. Well, I mean, it's when when it's raining, it's a, a nice feature. As as an owner of a convertible, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just feels so obvious to put a solar panel up there. There's nuts that no one's uh, thought about it until now i do like this there's one of them here um and i think it's for a car the mbyte four-wheel drive and do you know what this defining feature is it's Go got it. it's got dark mode <laughs> that's its selling point <laughs> like nothing else not the fact that it's four-wheel drive or i assume electric no no, no. dark mode Dark mode, that's useful. Um, a bunch of in, uh, in-car infotainment stuff. Uh, Bosch showing off a 3D screen to make alerts seem more obvious and urgent, which seems pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that's to help combat the thing of why does every electric car have one giant screen that you have to look at to do anything with? Oh, you want to turn the wipers on? Oh, you got to look at that. Oh, you want to turn the fog lamp? Oh, you got to go through the menus. Um, looking at you, Tesla. Um, so I assume that's to help help combat that. LG showcasing WebOS Auto operating system for internet connected cars. It's such a funny statement as an internet connected cars. Um, it seems like there's a bunch of like personal transport things being shown off. Um, probably less so about the whole idea of public transport. I think we're, we're still at the point where we're trying to solve the how do I get myself from A to B and then that last mile transport is, is, is a super hot space. Obviously we've got the rise of electric scooters and skateboards and things like that that have uh, made it a very competitive space. Uh, one of the other categories at CES, health and wearables. This is one that's been kicking around for a number of years now. Um, I know when we started doing this, kind of felt like it wasn't really a thing. Maybe you had a, a pedometer or, or, or something on your, on your on your waistband or on your wrist or whatever, but it really has blown up in the past five, six years. You know, even Apple, Google, Fitbit, obviously. Um, there's some, as you scroll, I don't know if you've, if you've got the list in front of you, but there are some interesting concepts there. You thought robotics was weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's other options, right? I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if you've read it, but the Atmos mask is an odd-looking mask to provide. I mean, a great idea, pollution, uh, protection from pollution, but um, it looks like something out of Ready Player One. It's very odd. Um, shoes. <laughs> Wahoo is a pair of shoes that change the shape of their soles to suit the local environment. Interesting concept. Um, shoes. Blast, able to kill bacteria um, it caused the shoes to sink. Okay. Um, a lot of gym stuff. Obviously, things like uh, Peloton and whatnot being huge in the past few years. Uh, kind of not really an interesting space, I'd say. Um, or not really innovative, I guess. Um, but yeah, CES 2020, I think, is going to be interesting. I think next weekend to talk about pretty, 
people's favorite things were and whatnot. I'd love to go to CES one year. Yeah, uh, the thing is, and and this that it's the same with any technology sector. We're seeing products and devices and theories, concepts, practices, which some you look at and you think that, that's really obvious, and then some you look at and think, oh, that's really great. That's going to make life so much easier. Some you think I'd love that, and others you think that's a waste of time. And but that's it's the waste of times which get. The technology could get stripped and put into something else, and all of a sudden, it's 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 amazing. It's sliced bread, and that's that's why CES does so well because there is a plethora of categories, and within that, a plethora of products. Some amazing, some not so much, and it's the ones that are not so much that sometimes actually get redeveloped and and rethought and become something completely different. And it's only five, ten, fifteen years down the line that that technology then gets implemented. For me, it's it's the subcategory of smart homes which will proved to be a big winner in CES 2020. And I'm talking about the ones which don't require you to knock down your house and rebuild from the start. What do you think, Aaron? What stands out for you? Same. Smartphone, uh, smartphones. Smart homes and uh, EVs are the most interesting spaces. spaces. <laughs> yeah, true. Not something we're going to dwell on for very long here. Um, obviously, CES we will cover next week and we'll see what does come from it. 7th of January to the 10th. So it's this Tuesday right up until Friday. And we'll have um, a show next week to talk about what we did see. Um, as I say, not going to dwell on it. However, it just... It, it just strikes in my head as obstructive to innovation. And NYU doctor is suing Apple over the Apple Watch's ability to detect um, atrial fibrillation. Apple's watch ability to detect atrial, or atrial fibrillation sorry, has proven to be life-saving for many users thus far, but a New York University doctor is now suing Apple over the feature. Dr. Joseph Weasel claims that the Apple Watch infringes on his patent for a method to detect an irregular heartbeat. Okay, we're going to pause there. We're going to think about health technology in general. We'll go back. This feature, which has proven to be life-saving for many users because it is very reachable to many users. Okay. The technology that is in the patent may not be. So a moral question has to arise at some point. Is it better that this technology is patented and very restricted and not accessible to many people and only available in certain medical and health institutions, which most people wouldn't have a clue that they have an irregular heartbeat or a problem, hence why so many people find themselves with problems when when it does become a problem? Or is it better to say, yeah, you know what, this patent shouldn't really have a patent status because it should be an open source technology, which, yes, has been discovered thanks to amazing you know, research and development from potentially one person or a multitude of people. But it makes more sense to put the technology into many, you know, for example, a, a product such as the Apple Watch or any other fitness device, because it might just save lives. And in this case, it has. So to me... I get the whole point of patent, but surely we could apply this to many things in life and say, well, you know what? Shouldn't your, your your watch shouldn't be able to detect your heartbeat because someone discovered how to work, how that should work, how the light from the sensors, you know, go into the veins and see the the sort of um, change in complexion as your as the blood's pumped around the veins and so on, which then in fact creates a calculation for a heartbeat. It, it just seems a bit. Mm, I don't know. I just it doesn't sit with me very well. This whole thing is. I mean, patents are nuts, aren't they? The whole patent system. I mean, specifically talking about the U.S. patent system here slightly has been uh, a bone of contention with a lot of people for years now. Um, as far as I'm aware, maybe the article just doesn't allude to it, but from what I'm reading, he has this patent but hasn't 
done anything with it. No product has been created from it, which seems weird um, to have a patent for so long for no other reason than to basically, I guess, like, you know, you get domain squatters online. They do nothing with a name, but they just sit there on top of it. Kind of feels like that. Like it's, uh, you've got an idea, but you haven't actually created anything from it. So when other people come along and create said idea, um, you get annoyed about it. It's just such a, I don't know. There is a need for patents. This is like part of a much broader problem. There, there is a need for, for protection of intellectual oh, yeah. property. Yeah, of course. No one is denying that. No. There just needs to be a better review process. Um, it would be interesting to see, actually, if this patent would stand up to review nowadays mm. based on the fact that there's no product from it um, and based on the fact that it's kind of a bit general. Um, like it's, it's atrial, fib- at- there. atrial fibrillation. Say that 10 times fast. Um, <laughs> it is essentially detecting, as you say, an irregular pattern an irregular rhythm um obviously there's a there is a medical science to it but it's not the world's most complicated idea um you know if, if you count one a second and all of a sudden there's actually three in a second you know that type of thing um yeah. so it does feel like a like a pattern for such a, a broad system i'd be very interested to see if it stand up to review we do have to take it with a pinch of salt we are reading this story on a on a potentially ample biased website i i'd be interested to know if there's actually kind of more to this um or- and that that's the thing I'm not sticking up for Apple here. I'm saying as a whole, rather, and that's why we're not going too be- too deep into it, and that's why we're going to move on very quickly. But just on preliminary reading and preliminary fact-finding, you have a patented technology which, again, could potentially save lives, has saved lives, implemented into a very popular device, whether or not that's Apple's or not, and all of a sudden it's a problem. And I, yes, the problem could be okay, that the patent was there in patent technology and patent law state that if the patent is must be applied to use and there must be royalties and so on and so forth, I get that. But question must be asked, what's better, dead people or and, and, and money paid to a royalty for a patent or people who have had their, you know, issues potentially detected early on and, and looked at, fixed, sorted and lives saved. And, and yeah, it's, it's a messy one, but mm, there is more into it. And it was said that Apple had refused to negotiate in good faith to avoid the lawsuit. Whether Apple don't believe they're, they're in the wrong whether they believe that the technology is not just one discovery and one patent. Who knows? More will follow and hopefully we'll, we'll follow the story too. It's, it's gone from bad to worse. Sonos have uh, found themselves in a bricked speaker recycling row. They're facing backlash for encouraging customers to get rid of their old speakers when there may be nothing wrong with them whatsoever. The US speaker giant is offering customers a 30% discount on new products if they follow steps to recycle their old ones. Okay, thus far, we're thinking, what's wrong with that? That's good. They're offering an incentive to recycle their old devices, which may still work. Brilliant. That's what we're all about. Because in a throwaway society, we use an electrical device, what, one year, two year, and chuck it away? It's not great. And we need to get better at that. Because technology uses a lot of resource, not only to, to build um, in, in itself. So the technology, the actual build of the technology is a lot of resources, but the actual technology itself has a lot of resources in it. And the resources could be very, very salvageable and usable in other use cases. So it's nice that companies are encouraging recycling. The problem is, following Sonos's recycling advice puts the device in recycle mode, which means it will then be permanently deactivated. Not functional, broke, a brick, a big doorstop, a huge paperweight. Sonos said it wanted to encourage responsible disposal of electrical equipment. Many took to Twitter saying it would be far better to allow people to resell them. So... Uh, 
yeah that it seems like someone's saying yeah we support recycling but we want to make sure it supports our wallet at the same time so recycle your product you can't do anything with it recycle the parts obviously to Sonos but uh, yeah that's but that's mm. one of the reasons this, this kind of blew up so much on Twitter a week or so ago is um, a guy who runs a e-cycling recycling electronic recycling company um, someone had recycled uh, five Sonos Play 5 speakers um, he said that they're worth easily worth $250 each used. Um, he said they're in great condition um, and could have easily been reused. But nope, they've got to go to recycling because Sonos bricked them so he could get a 30% discount. I mean, just from a consumer point of view, like even before you as a consumer go, yeah, I want 30%. Like Sonos's whole or like will stand the test of time for an amazing number of years. Like Play 5s are fantastic still. You know, it's not that hard to find a so or to find Sonus is running 30% sales, you know, Black Friday, Boxing Day, New Year's, every other month of the year, it feels like they're on sale uh, yeah. at least, you know, probably 15 to 20 or 30%. Like, it feels like you wouldn't even have to recycle your old ones. You'd get much better resale value. Well, you get much better value, I should say, sorry, selling them. So that doesn't make any sense. Sonus's whole kind of way they dealt with this was just weird. Um, the fact that they're obviously not going to recycle that themselves, the fact they still put that onus on you and obviously because they put that onus on you to do it they brick them um because i could go to sonus oh, i want to you know i want to upgrade from my my sonus one and they would be like fantastic send it to recycling here's the 30 percent voucher code i could obviously then never recycle it and continue to use both yeah. um, so from a business point of view you kind of get what they're trying to do as you say recycling is the best of a well i guess the second best of a bad situation when it comes to disposing of tech products obviously reusing resale that kind of thing is uh, is better well resell is better yeah reuse resell because fundamentally if you if you think about it so you, you want to upgrade and someone just wants a sonos speaker you sell your sonos speaker on to someone and buy another one two sonos speakers in existence two components essentially you know there are two two products with the components in you want to recycle your product want to buy a new one you recycle your existing sonos speaker and buy a new one someone else wants to buy a new one there are now three sonos speakers in existence and yes you could make the point well the product goes to recycling and the, the components are recycled and i guess in a way yep it does stop people from salvaging it during the recycling process that's fine but what about the energy consumed and the components used to manufacture the next sonos speaker because it's not just the, the product itself it's the quote carbon footprint of that product during manufacturing it's double handling it, it's doing two things for the sake of do you know and it's just it's pointless and it's not great i mean yeah it's, it's encouraging someone to do the right thing for the wrong reasons essentially it circles back around to the whole thing the whole thing of longevity and products anyway okay but why are people upgrading you know these products i feel should be built for a long period of time sonos are charging you a really high premium for these things um and you get a very decent product for that but the way they're doing all this makes it seem like they expect people to be swapping out speakers every few years and we've always spoken about how like speakers are one of the things that don't really improve 
uh, you know, year over year. Mm. A smartphone gets quicker, a camera gets better, a TV gets higher quality. Yeah. A speaker doesn't change. No. Yeah, speakers... Fundamentally, speakers haven't changed in the last 15 years. Exactly. Okay, maybe the, the interconnectivity and the, the smart aspect of them, but the actual sound technology, it's very similar. Speakers don't degrade year over year. The, the, you know, I mean, on a technical level, they probably do, but you know what I mean? Not like a battery or, or, or something else does. Like, they should be built to be in a roundabout sense almost forever product yeah i mean essentially a speaker is an inverted microphone or vice versa and microphone technology for the last 10 20 years the the, the microphones which radio stations and and studios and so on used 20 years ago are still in radio studios today because they haven't moved on okay maybe the connectivity has in some degree but the actual technology and the, the products themselves haven't that's proof in the pudding so on that note i think we should be you know encouraging people or encouraging companies to build products that last longer again we're already paying that premium for them i don't think it's the fact that sonos make bargain basement products that people are expected to replace once a year it's simply not true sonos charge an extreme premium for their devices i would be shocked if i couldn't get at least seven eight nine ten years out of a device um Hmm. it's one of the decent things about sonos is a lot of them don't have line in or bluetooth but with wi-fi and whatnot their connectivity is so broad that as services come and go there will always be or for a long time there'll be a way of playing something on your sonos system the same might not be able to be said for for echo devices or you know for the home pod the home pod being so restricted and basically it can do siri and apple music you know it, it doesn't feel like there's a super long life in that product just based on it's based on one service existing um whereas sonos and a few of the others have always done pretty well and it's like this type of stuff just leaves a sour taste in your mouth um it makes it sound like sonos are trying to do the right thing the fact that they're encouraging you to recycle them but as you say we shouldn't be recycling products it's reduce reuse recycle Recycling. In that order. Yeah. yeah. Recycle is the last in the chain there. It, it's reduce. The last well, the, 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 they're doing it the other way around. I mean, reduce. Reduce the number of products you're making. Okay, it doesn't match any business wallet, so they're not going to do that. But reduce. Well, I guess that's well, You can reduce by reusing, by letting people reuse the products and then recycle, but yeah, alas. Essentially, they're sticking DRM on their speakers, right? Yeah. In some form. It's also kind of <laughs> scary because it mean, this, this also, which I haven't seen many people highlight or point out, it highlights the fact that some Sonos do have the ability to remotely brick your device, which is moderately worrying. That is also a question, yeah, which which should have to suffice. But there is obviously um, arbitrary software on the product then that, that, that means that's possible. I would doubt that Sonos are the only ones as well who have that. That's how 2020 starts. Let's hope it's not how it ends with DRM software on speakers. It's not exactly innovative in any way. The only thing it does is line Sonos' speaker, or speakers pockets <laughs> deeper. It's not something anyone in the technology world would encourage. Open source is always the best. We've said it, we've seen it, we've discovered it, we've used it, we've felt it, we've experienced it. Smart homes, open source. It's the only way it's going to work. Not quite the same as a Sonos speaker, but it it follows through and has the same effect um, in principle anyway. That brings us to the end of episode 492, the first of 2020, the first of many. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode. As always, you can find more episodes over at munchtech.tv for our interview with Steve Wozniak from all the way back in 2012. That is forward slash was for the newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter, ultimate guided podcasting forward slash ultimate podcast guide and podcastassist.com. If you're listening on your mobile device, forward slash 
mobile firearm apps and to download them. Have a great, safe, enjoyable rest of the first week of 2020 and we will see you same place, same time next week on episode 493. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.